What's poppin' people? Welcome back to Sunday School. If you're wondering why there's an ungodly amount of background noise, it's because I'm filming next to a river. And unfortunately, this is the only place that I could film that was mildly aesthetically pleasing and not swarming with people. Everyone's out today and I have no clue why. So with all that out of the way, Welcome back to Sunday School. Sunday School is a show where we read through the Bible. We try to understand what God's Word means and how we can apply it to our lives. And we've been reading through the book of Romans. And today we're reading through Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 is probably one of the most troubling chapters in the entire Bible. If I had to pick a least favorite chapter of the Bible... For me, it would have to be Romans chapter 6. And when we get through reading Romans chapter 6, I don't think we're going to be finishing the full chapter today. We're only going to probably get through the first half of the chapter today, and we'll finish the second half in the next episode. But when we get through reading it, I think no matter what denomination you're a part of, no matter if you're a Catholic who believes in the sacraments, you're a Pentecostal that believes in faith plus works, you're a faith alone Baptist, this is going to be like incredibly troubling for you. It's going to be something that is very hard to accept and it's something that I even struggle to accept. I want to be honest with you. Now, I'm going to try to do my best to not let my personal opinions, my personal feelings about this chapter get in the way of the message Paul is trying to give to us. But I'm just going to say, I do not like what I'm reading. <laughs> and that's not to say it's wrong, right? I believe the word of God. and I believe every, every word in the word of God is supposed to be there. It's just that many of the things the Bible says are things that are offensive. So before I get into the text, I want to establish how it is we got here. So in the past five chapters that we've read in the book of Romans, Paul has been progressively making one continuous argument. And this is something that is very important to understand if you're going to fully grasp the book of Romans. You will not be able to sufficiently understand what any one particular verse or passage, paragraph, or chapter means if you have not understood all of the chapters, verses, passages, paragraphs preceding it. And even if you've read all the chapters and verses preceding it, you will not understand the full point of the book of Romans. If you only read the last half of chapter one, you'll be convinced that gay people can't go to heaven. If you stop reading at chapter two, you'll be convinced in a works-based salvation. If you at least get to chapter three, you can get saved because it finally teaches us about faith alone, salvation, and how we need to put our faith in Christ. And chapters 4 and 5 go through affirming this using stories from the Old Testament. So what has been fully established so far, like I just said, is the gospel of faith alone, grace, salvation. Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross for us. And what he did and the blood that he shed, what he did is sufficient to make us right with God. And all that is required of us 
as Christians is not to repent of our sins. It is not to go and follow the law. It is not anything other than to believe what Jesus did. If we believe that Jesus sacrificed himself and that he rose again three days later, if we put our faith, our total and complete trust in this fact and accept it as being true, right? It's not about, you know, having enough faith. It's about merely accepting that the facts are true. That's it. That's all you have to do. And if you do that, you will be saved. You will be accepted by God. God will love you. And you'll go to heaven. And Paul has been contrasting this belief with what was at the time the contemporary Jew Jewish belief. Contemporary Jewish thought at his time, and as we know, Christianity came from Judaism, was one of two different thought paths. Either you had the liberal Talmudic Jews who believed that simply just being Jewish is sufficient to get you to heaven. That God loves all Jewish people and that Jewish people are like the master race, the superior race of humans, and that all other humans are cattle and are meant to serve them. And that was the one prevailing thought. And Paul debunked that in the first five chapters. The second prevailing thought which is also been debunked in the first five chapters, is that we need to keep the law. We need to keep the Ten Commandments in order to go to heaven. And Paul says, that's not wrong. If you were to keep the 613 commandments that make up the law, the most popular of which are the first ten that we know as the Ten Commandments, if you were to keep them, for your whole life, never break them, never kill anyone, never steal, never cheat on your wife, love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you were to do those things for your whole life, you would actually go to heaven. Paul says that the problem is, though, that if you break one of these commandments, even just once, you will go to hell. And it doesn't matter if you, after breaking the commandment, never break it again. It doesn't matter if you repent and you turn away from your sin. God says that if you sin once, you're going to go to hell. That is what the law says. So Paul comes to the conclusion that this contemporary Jewish thought is wrong, not in premise, but in practice. In premise, if you were to keep the law and be a good person, you would go to heaven. But in practice, nobody's a good person, so nobody's going to heaven. But Paul says that God, I hate these bugs, have offered, has, has offered, I hate these cars, <laughs> has offered a new solution to this problem, a new way to get to heaven that circumvents the Old Testament, the old way of doing things. And that is the death of Jesus Christ. And through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, all people, no matter of how sinful they are, can have their sins washed away and they can get to heaven even though they're bad people that don't deserve to go to heaven. That's where we are at this point, at the beginning of chapter 6.
So let's read the first verse. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? See, Paul has established that we are not being saved by our own works. We are not being saved because we're good people. And really, we're not even being saved because we have faith. We are being saved because Jesus did something. And that thing that he did is being awarded to us, even though we have not done anything to deserve salvation. It is a free gift or the word that Paul uses, grace. And grace is a single word. That's definition is a free gift, a gift that you do not deserve. In the first verse, Paul is asking a rhetorical question. He's asking a question that the Jews and many Christians today ask. And that question is, what? So is this whole faith alone thing just an excuse to sin? Many people from all walks of life, from all denominations, Catholics, Orthodox, Pentecostals, Methodists, everyone, Lutherans, whatever, they attack real Christians who believe the true gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus died for our sins, and that if we trust in him, we cannot go to hell and we'll go to heaven. And they attack us and they say that we're giving people a free license to sin. That we're basically saying, oh, just kill on, keep sinning, keep sinning, it's all right. And the reason they say this is because they cannot conceive of a reason why someone wouldn't sin if there was no punishment associated with the sin. They believe that the only way to prevent people from sinning is to scare them by saying, if you sin, you'll go to hell. But the fact is, that doesn't really stop anyone. I was raised in a Catholic household by my grandparents for the first couple years of my life, and then I got taken in by my parents because they finally figured out whatever was going on in the relationship. And they instilled in me good Catholic morals. And I went to CCD, I went to Mass pretty regularly, not every week, but... You know, I went there pretty regularly. I read books on the saints and stuff as a kid. I was really into that. And I believed in hell and I believed in God. Uh, I believe Jesus existed. I didn't know about the gospel because they don't teach you the gospel as a Catholic. So I, and I believe that if you did sexually immoral stuff that you'd go to hell. And I believe that if you were gay, you'd go to hell. And I believe that if you'd steal, you'd go to hell. And I believed in that if you hated people, you'd go to hell. I believe that if you didn't give to charity, if you didn't go to church on Sundays, you'd go to hell. And this is the Catholic belief. And this is the belief of most Christians that you have to be a good person to go to heaven. And if you're not a good person, you're going to go to hell. But this is an insufficient way to deter people from sinning because as soon as you commit one sin it's over you know you're going to hell it doesn't matter if how good of a person you were up until that point once you sin screwed and right of course catholics they believe in forgiveness and they believe that if you you know genuinely come to god and you repent you take the eucharist your sins will be forgiven but the fact is none of these beliefs ever prevented me from sinning they never prevented me from falling into like i've talked about in the show total sexual degeneracy total 
immorality, just like being a total evil reprobate person. It never saved me from drug use. It never saved me from drinking alcohol. And in fact, it actually helped me in many regards because I thought to myself after the first time watching porn or the first time performing some kind of homosexual act, well, I've already done it now. There's no point in repenting. I'm going to go to hell anyways. But here's the question, right? We can argue all day whether or not scaring people about hell is a sufficient way to get people to act moral. It doesn't matter. The question at hand is, does the Christian gospel give people a free license to sin? If you're a Baptist, you'd say, hell yeah. Most Catholics would tell you, hell yeah. You know, I had a Catholic woman the other day on Instagram and I was evangelizing on Instagram and she was making fun of all these atheists, you know, texting me talking about how stupid these atheists are. I click on her page to see like, who is this person? Literal OnlyFans girl producing softcore pornography. I tell her this is a sin. She says, I'm a Catholic. I can be forgiven. I go to confession about it. She says to me this like quote from Al Pacino, I think, where he says, I prayed to God for a bicycle, but I learned he didn't work that way. So I stole one and asked for forgiveness afterwards. But the Apostle Paul contradicts this sentiment. He says that this is not an excuse to sin. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. God forbid. You hear how strong that is? God forbid. That is something that is unthinkable to the Apostle Paul, that a Christian would remain in sin and live in sin. It is unthinkable to him that the gospel is teaching that it's okay to sin. God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? He says this claim is preposterous. How is it possible for a Christian to continue any longer in sin? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Now, it seems like he goes on a tangent here and he starts talking about baptism. But I promise that this whole thing about baptism is actually very important. This is a very important statement. And if you don't understand this, you don't understand Christianity. Know you not. So he says, do you not know? Are you unaware of the fact that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. When you get baptized, you are not getting baptized into the church. When you get baptized into Jesus Christ, you are not being baptized into whatever. Those are things that you're getting baptized into, but ultimately what you are getting baptized into is a baptism into death. We are baptized into his death into the death of Jesus Christ. We, when we get baptized, 
We are baptized into Jesus's body hanging on the cross with nails through his wrists, a nails through his ankles, and a crown of thorns on his head. That's what we're getting baptized into. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like how Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we should walk in a newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, and that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we are dead with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dies no more. Death has no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he lives, he lives unto God. Likewise, Reckon you yourselves also to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. When you join the church, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, when you get baptized, you become Jesus. This is the message of Christianity. This is the message that you and Jesus trade places. That when God looks at you, he does not see the sinful, wicked, homosexual, murderer, thief, pedophile, whatever you are, whatever horrible thing you've done. You're a rapist, you're a porn watcher, you're a drug user, you're an alcoholic, you're an abuser. God doesn't see that. When he looks down at you, he doesn't see Randy, the math addict. He doesn't see Caitlin, the tranny lesbian. He doesn't see Isaac, the porn watcher. He doesn't see Grace, the weed smoker. When he looks at you, he sees his one and only begotten son. When someone asks what your name is, he says, his name's Jesus Christ. He's my one and only son. I love him so much. That is the gospel right there. And when God looks down in 33 AD and sees Jesus's dead body hanging on a cross, he doesn't see Jesus. He sees me. He sees you hanging on that cross. He doesn't see Jesus dying. He sees us dying. He sees us being punished for our sins. He sees us going through suffering and dying and going to hell. This is the gospel that we have traded places with Jesus. See, God has a record of all of our lives. And in reality, every single person who's ever lived, their record is just a list of reasons why they should never be let anywhere near the gates of heaven. The only person who ever met the requirements to get to heaven is Jesus of Nazareth, son of Mary, son of Joseph, son of God. But see, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, when you believe in Jesus, God looks at your record and he 
writes down that you are dead, that you've went to hell for your sins, that you've been punished, and that you're dead. Right now, you're looking at me, Nuisans. I'm dead. I am not alive. In the eyes of God, I have been counted as dead. I have been counted as being punished for my sins. And when I believed in Jesus, God wrote in Jesus's record that he took up a new residence over in New Jersey. He says, let not therefore, what does therefore mean? We've established this in past episodes. Therefore means because of what I just said. So because of what I just said, let not sin reign in your body. Because you are now Jesus and the old you, the old you that used to sin is dead. The old man is crucified on the cross with Jesus. Because of that, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. That you should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield your members, that means your body parts, as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace." See, in my opinion, the gospel of Jesus Christ has given me a reason to stop sinning. Now, some might not understand that because they're like, but there's no reason for you to be afraid of sinning. You're not going to go to hell. But I disagree. See, when I heard about the gospel and I learned about Jesus and what Jesus did for us, it changed my perspective on things. And I had a great appreciation for God. For the first time in my life, it wasn't just this, you know boomer cringe thing that was gay and regarded (laughs) you know it wasn't just i didn't just view it as this made-up religion trying to control me but i realized that god loves me that god cares about me and that god cares about all of us and wants the best for all of us as we talked about in the last episode god loves you so much that he was willing to sacrifice his firstborn and only son for you. That is true love. And when I realized that God really loves me that much, I realized that I loved him. As it says in 1 John 4:19, we love him because he first loved us. And when I saw God's love for me, I couldn't help but love him. I couldn't help but appreciate him. I couldn't help but care about what God thinks as my newly adoptive father. And because I had gained an appreciation and a love for him through what he did for me, that he rescued me from condemnation. I was moved a few weeks in after I had put my faith into him sometime towards the end of January in 2020. And in the morning, I took in my backpack going to school. I I took all the paraphernalia that I have been using to commit my sins. And I don't want to get into any uncouth detail. And I took it in this backpack. In fact, it's the backpack that I'm using to carry my equipment now. And after school, I went into my van. I was driving this, uh, this van at the time. And uh, I drove out to this very creek right here. And 
I threw all that stuff out into this little creek here. I wanted to get rid of it. And it wasn't because I was afraid I was going to go to hell. It was because I loved God. For the first time in my life, I loved God. And I loved Him so much that I was willing to give up the most horrific things that I was doing. The things that had basically consumed my entire life whenever I had any free time. I let it all go. And I found that it was very easy. I wasn't, you know, going crazy after I did this. I was free from this. And that is the power of the gospel. So we'll get more into Paul's answer about, you know, is the gospel a license to sin or is it not in the next episode? But to come to a conclusion, I think what Paul's saying so far is that the gospel is the solution to sin. That the gospel has the power to do the thing that the law could not do. And that thing that the law could not do is to keep people from sinning. Right, as Paul said in chapter three, the purpose of the law is not to get us to heaven. The purpose of the law is to make us aware of morality, to give us a knowledge of sin and make us realize how sinful we are. But the law is incapable of getting us to heaven, and it's not really that good as a deterrent from sin, because that's not what it is designed to do. It is not designed to keep you from sin. It is not designed to deter you. It is just designed to make you aware of what sin is. But what can stop you from sinning, what can change your life, that is Jesus Christ.